welcome back to Artist Avenue. Today I am talking to the wonderful Benjamin Victor. Benjamin is a London-based actor and theatre maker. He trained in fine art at Byam Shaw College of Art and Loughborough University before graduating with an MA from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. As a writer, Benjamin has participated on the playwriting program at the Royal Court Theatre. And as an actor, he has worked at venues including the Park Theatre, Greenwich Theatre and Teatro Goldoni in Florence. He is a company member of Ex Nihilo Theatre and also co-founded Blink Theatre in 2014, which is now run by Lottie Ruth Johnson. Before we dive into Benjamin's beautifully unique journey, I would like to remind you that due to the current circumstances, we had to record this episode remotely via Zoom. Therefore, the quality might suffer at points. Nevertheless, please keep listening. I always say for a 2021 podcast, it's content over technical quality. So without further ado, enjoy this glorious episode. My name is Benjamin Victor. I am an actor and a theatre maker. That's probably what I would call myself in terms of a title. I do a bit of everything. Like I, I came to acting quite late. I only trained when I did a master's degree. And before that, I was a fine arts student at university. But obviously, there's been a bit of creativity dotted around in what I do for quite a long time in one way or another. I'm a singer as well. I wouldn't really say that I play any instruments, although I did study music theatre. Um, I kind of dabble in the sense that I learn stuff by testing it out and I learn it very, very slowly. But I'm not one of these multi-instrumentalist geniuses. I do a lot of writing. I like making stuff from scratch. So a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in starts as the idea and might be made from devising or might be made through a writing process. Usually it's made with lots of other people, not just me. I think that's it. It's brilliant. I love it. It's so interesting. I love it that you're so passionate about creating from like a new point and trying it out. So why don't you take us back to your once upon a time, the beginning of your journey? The beginning of my journey. I was extremely lucky this sounds like I'm going way way back but it has a purpose um (laughs) in in primary school we had like a brand new head teacher of this school who was really really passionate about music Mr Gate don't know if he's ever going to listen to this I doubt it if he Um, is shout out to him (laughs) shout out to Mr Gate I think his first name was Malcolm but that could be wrong so Malcolm Gate yeah that might be wrong um He was very passionate about music and the benefits that that has for children of a young age and creativity in general. I had basically, I joined the choir at that school when I was a kid, not really knowing whether I could sing or not. It's just a thing that I did. My parents probably made me do it. Discovered at some point in primary school that I could sing and then really started liking it. And then by the time I was in secondary school, the, the way that I started performing was being in choirs, basically. And we would occasionally go and do concerts in local churches. We had a couple of trips where we went abroad and performed carol concerts in churches in other parts of Europe as well. And it was kind of part subsidised by the school, which was an amazing opportunity. And that was me getting a chance to understand that I liked performing and liked music. And then at some point as a teenager, I got quite scared of performing in front of people and quite insecure about lots of things associated with that and pretty much moved away from doing any kind of singing at all 
uh, for quite a long time and would occasionally do it in my my room but I wouldn't ever do it in front of people. And I wasn't in any choirs or anything like that for a very, very long time. And then at university, kind of pushed myself to do it again and joined a choir. And through joining that choir, I was asked to audition for a show. So I, I started doing musicals. I had done it a bit as a kid. Um, I had done it as a kid. And I was part of like a really great kind of extracurricular society up until the age of 17, which was run through a local synagogue. My family's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was amazing. It was run by a man called Simon Rawlins, who is a, an actor as well. And he's a brilliant teacher for people of that age. And I, I fell in love with it then, but I kind of got scared of it and then started doing it again at university. And then it was probably by the time I left university, I felt like I didn't really want to do art as a career. I still love drawing, but... Mm-hmm. um. I think it was always actually a hobby. I just didn't know what else I might want to do. And by the time I left university, sort of had the idea that I might be able to work in theatre. So it was a very kind of long, long route to get there. Yeah. No, but it's unique. Like everyone has their own journey. So it's great. Um, So you did do your fine arts degree before going to your MA. Did you then do... Like, did you do performing alongside in societies or something like that? Yeah. So in my first year, I auditioned for a production of Grease uh, on the recommendation of somebody who was in the same choir as me. That's how this happened. Uh-huh. Um, and was like shaking. I was so scared. It's the most scared I've ever been at any kind of audition, which is probably to be expected. And, and got a part, which was a big surprise to me at the time. And then this, so this was like a stage society. and they did awards at the end of the year like they did some musicals and some normal stage shows and a lot of the people in this group were also studying English and drama and were like way more advanced than me and very good at what they would do and I was like learning it as I went along but I out of whatever my nature is I take it quite seriously so I was trying to improve from the beginning and I won an award from this production of Greece which made me feel really good. And yes. then I, I think I got hooked. Maybe my ego got hooked a little bit as well from getting given a prize. And then in my second year and my third year, I did more productions with the same, always musicals. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's why I ended up studying musical theatre is, uh, to be honest, until, until I went to drama school, my main goal was to do, like singing was the first thing, acting was the second thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that came from feeling confident in it. I'm not sure. Yeah. No, but sometimes you need that little confidence push, even if it's just like an award or a medal. Like as a kid, I think that's so vital because you're like, oh my God, look, I've achieved this, you know? Yeah. So yes. that's, that's really, it's a really nice story, actually. Of reinforcement. It, yeah, it goes a long way, definitely. Yeah. So how was your experience auditioning for Amaze, essentially? Uh, interesting. I mean... <laughs> There's something that I missed out, actually, which is that in the year between leaving university and applying for the course that I ended up doing at Central, I did, I managed to get onto a one-year subsidised, it was like a support and education service run by charity. I don't know if they still run the same thing. They might run variations of the same thing. It's called Project Pakama, and it was completely subsidised part-time, but throughout the entire year, and like... I was very lucky to be a part of that. And all of us that were a part of it got 
a bit of training in backstage, a bit of training in production, some training in directing or making your own work, like a bit of everything. And secretly, I really wanted to perform, but it got me to the place where I was confident enough to audition for drama school. So that was that was quite a big year, actually, in an interesting kind of way. And then based on the end of that experience, I applied to Mount View and Central to do musical theatre because those were the only two schools that I would be able to live at home and commute to. That that was the decision. I mean, it's, it's extremely expensive to go to drama school and I'm very lucky to be partly supported in that because I grew up in London. So mm-hmm. I was able to live at home. But so I only applied to those two schools. I, I wouldn't have known where to start in applying to other places as well. Like I did plenty of research, but it's an interesting process because in my head, it was like applying for professional training, like a further career stage. Even though it's the first time I'd done any kind of drama training, like it's, it's a step forward. But at the same time, it's an academic course and it happens through UCAS And so like, it felt a bit weird to kind of be going, not backwards, but slightly retracing my own steps, going back into education. All of that process I found a little bit strange because I wasn't thinking of it as that. I also realized I haven't answered your question really. You have, you're absolutely fine. (laughs) Um, The the experience actually auditioning was very interesting because like, I thought I wanted to go to Mountview and I had a very clear idea in my head of, musical theatre traditional musical theatre because that's what I was in love with still am in lots of ways but that was like the forefront of why I was applying and kind of found out through the audition process that it's not any comment on Mountview but maybe the way they ran the audition or the particular one that I was in like a combination of the way it was run how the atmosphere felt on the day but it also helped me understand a bit more about how they teach and how that course was structured as opposed to the course that I ended up doing at Central and they're both very very different types of training I sort of discovered through auditioning at each of them that maybe one was better for me than the other and I I mean as it turned out I didn't get into Mountview at all I didn't get past the first round in Mountview and in for the auditions at Central I got put onto a waiting list and ended up being offered a place so it's the only place that I got offered and I think it was the right course for me yeah I mean it feels like it was the right right thing at the right time this might be a bit of a funny question but I think it's really interesting having done a fine arts degree going into an MA for music theater did you find anything useful from your (laughs) other degree for music theater yes yeah I mean there is the the most important one probably is work ethic I have like really distinct memories especially from my last year doing fine art of like a lot of it is self-directed you you, you're told how you're going to be assessed and then you're just sent off to go and make something and document the process and then bring it back and hope that it's good enough and it's extremely hard it's part of the reason I didn't actually like studying fine art is the way that I found the way that it was assessed was very difficult to know what you're supposed to be producing for people which I don't think is the case for performing really but the what it creates in you as a student in terms of making a structure for yourself working out what you need to make a piece of work and you know almost like reverse planning everything deciding where you want to be at the end of the process and working your way 
backwards to you know see where to start that's that's true of making theatre as well like it's really transferable really it's just the thought process it's nothing more than that but it is helpful and as an actor I certainly find that you you basically create a timetable for yourself yeah 90% of the time you know and without that you can feel like you're sort of floating a little bit so yeah it's, it's just it was good practice I mean I'm still learning how to do it it's not like I know what I'm doing now but <laughs> It is. Um, it, that was a good transferable skill. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, I mean, being happy to think creatively, like a lot of theatre making, writing as well, but theatre making, especially if you're, you know, an actor in a room where you're encouraged to devise or if you're part of an ensemble where the whole ensemble is making the piece of work, like you're, you turn up with ideas and you are probably more than ever, I think you're expected to bring ideas to the table like in in lots of ways now you have to come with a director's instinct as well as an actor's instinct I yeah. think and that's that's not dissimilar to making other creative work so there is there's a crossover mm-hmm. out of curiosity did because I know we've we've done the same course obviously but like a few years apart did you also have the device unit back then uh, I'm pretty sure that most of what we did would have been quite different. There will have been similarities. We had, the first production that we made was quite heavily devised. Yeah. It was still based around an existing script. So in terms of performance projects, missing out the showcase, kind of more formalized showcase, we had a production right at the beginning of our second term, term two out of three, I guess, um, at the beginning of spring, Mm-hmm. which was the Beggar's Opera, which is the what the Three Penny Opera is based on. So we used the original script, which it's not the same as Shakespeare, but it's it's old-fashioned English. It's similar to working in, in a kind of Shakespearean form, I guess, at least in some ways. And like learning, almost like learning translations for what you're saying, because the language doesn't exist anymore. I really enjoyed that process working on that show and a lot of the rehearsal process was kind of throwing ideas out and and coming with devising ideas and a lot of that happened before we were cast as well Mm -hmm. um so that was very interesting and then I wrote lyrics to supplement some of the songs some people wrote and composed music for some of the songs there was some devised musical sections we also had members of staff writing some music and lyrics for the songs and we learned some existing traditional classical music it was like a big hodgepodge of stuff which may have been I I wonder how confusing it was for people to watch but as (laughs) as a process it was really informative for us and I think that was our closest to devising our our final big show was a an existing book musical yeah yeah sounds pretty similar I just got goosebumps like when you talked about like People were creating this and then some other people were creating that. It's so lovely just to think of that and imagine it. I find it very exciting. I think I think I think you have to you have to like that way of working and not everybody does. And there's another thing of like, I think it's a lovely way to work while you're training at a drama school, but there's naturally, I think there has to be a pretty tricky balance because you know, some people turn up with things that are suited to that way of working. Mm-hmm. And some people don't like if, if you if you come with lots of really beautiful skills, but which are more to do with 
taking a piece of script that you're given and making acting choices or physical theatre choices which might not lend themselves to the way that you're devising. If like if 80% of the people in the class are instrumentalists or are happy to try and write lyrics or music, they might be happy and the other 20% are kind of waiting for something to happen. So I'm sure it is a tricky balance, but I found it great. And I I, I think I was one of the only people, because I cannot compose music, but I got <laughs> right. You know, I, I was writing lyrics and kind of working out whether I could do that through the process. I found that quite good. I, mm. I did like you find so many skills that you never thought you might be able to like incorporate so i think it's really cool that we get the chance to do it on that course definitely so how did your career evolve after graduating <laughs> evolve is a good word um <laughs> that yeah uh, <laughs> i it has evolved because I've kind of said yes to things that I think I might either find interesting or learn from, or they've just been exciting or potentially a well-paid project that I've wanted to say yes to. There's a luxury in me being able to uh, live at home, essentially, while I was studying, because a lot of this career is about finances, unfortunately, and whether things are possible or not possible. I was extremely fortunate to have that because what it meant is that I was able to it was the first time I'd done any training and I I made quite a conscious choice like most people study for three years at a minimum in in English and drama or drama as a specialism or as an actor and I studied very intensely but for one year and I had never done it before so I was doing a lot of learning as I went along and I made a very conscious decision to try and treat my first two years out in the industry as more learning years and treat it as if I was doing a three-year training. But obviously, there were things that I was then able to say yes to because I was lucky enough to be living at home. That's not, it'd be stupid for me to assume that that's always going to be possible for everybody. I was extremely lucky to be able to do that. But in terms of my approach, there were lots of jobs that I took in the first couple of years that were an exploration for me in terms of what I might be able to learn as an actor or a maker that helped me a huge amount in terms of what I was able to learn and how I've developed as a performer. Like I, the first time I really learned about performing Shakespeare was doing a production of Twelfth Night because there's a limit to how much you can study it on a one-year training. So I learned more in the stuff that I was able to do as a follow-up. That's, uh, that's one example. And I mean, with, with musical theatre as well, I haven't done that much of it since I graduated but the stuff that I have done has been very particular to me it's been it's been kind of a mixture of musical theatre and new writing and it seems like it's something I'm well suited to it also seems like it's what interests me the most in musicals so I've had a chance to kind of feel that out for myself I guess yeah I guess some of it some of it no that's such a cool mindset to have like well I've done a year the next two years can be like my next training years in the real world that's really cool yeah I personally think that if you stop being able to be a student on some level like it has to be financially viable and it's it's unfair to frame it in a way that doesn't include that I think but mm. I think if you stop being able to be a student in one way or another uh, you've kind of lost the point of what you're doing 
I think that even now, like I, I do not believe there's a point that you get to in this career where you you know everything you're doing. And I, maybe it's just a way of framing it for me. But when I think of myself as a student, even now, the work that I produce is infinitely better. And the mindset with which I approach a rehearsal room or the work that I'm making on my own is much more open. And I, I have fallen into the trap before of like, doing one exciting show and then thinking oh I'm you know I'm here now so I don't need to go back to where that was before and like that's a bit of a tricky balance in terms of the work that you as you continue the work that you say yes to the work that you might put to one side but then you might come back to that a year later and decide that it's the right thing so yeah yeah, it's an interesting one yeah and I think it's worth mentioning as well like we never stop learning because the industry is just constantly evolving. I mean, look at now, like (laughs) whoever thought it would look like this, you know, like we can't stop learning. So. You've been part of some really cool stuff, like not the mainstream stuff that everyone comes out thinks like I'm going to be in this show exactly but you've done some really cool projects which I think are worth mentioning and I know we came as a school trip to watch Dialecticon was that yeah yeah and I remember it was really interesting because it it just showed us that it kind of reminded me of what Central was teaching us in a way because it was so unique and so different that it made us think as the audience and I was wondering what it is like to be part of such like companies and productions and shows. It's great. It, it is it, it, for me. It's like that. It, it is what is what we do. It's what it's about. So talking about that particular show, which is an amazing thing to be a part of. Do you want me to talk about what the show was or just the process? You can talk about both. Because it was quite like it was a very like dense subject, but a really beautiful show. And it is, I, th- I think it relates really closely to what we studied on our particular course because Ade, the director, did our course. He did, I think he was in the first ever version of it. He, he did it ages ago and it will have looked completely different, but he studied with Paula Maria. I didn't did know, know that. Know? That's no, exciting. Yeah. That's how we met in the first place was that uh, Paul put us in contact when Ade was working on an R&D version of the same show. A couple of years earlier so yeah it's um it's inspired by the dialectics of liberation congress dialecticon which happened in the late 60s at the roundhouse in camden and was this kind of coming together of lots of huge names and thinkers in the world talking about the things that we can do to find it like a better kinder more compassionate way of living like it's incredibly relevant now part of the reason why it was amazing to do the project is because of how relevant it still is I mean like it probably more now than when we made it three years ago and Jackie the writer kind of took big big chunks of verbatim speeches from that event and I mean people at that event include Allen Ginsberg, Stokely Carmichael, like huge world-changing thinkers. Um, Incidentally one of the people that was there that hardly anyone has heard of, I hadn't heard of him, is called Gregory Bateson and was a scientist and environmentalist and talked, he spoke in the 60s about the dangers of global warming and what it's going to do to the planet very publicly, mm-hmm. still ignored then, clearly ignored for decades and it's a massive issue now. But like there, there are speeches of, of what he spoke about 
during that event and they're relevant now unfortunately so yeah Jackie took big chunks of these speeches and with Ade over a period of years they did research and development on it cut and changed the script a lot and then what we are working with in 2018 2017 18 2018 was the most up-to-date version of the script that I've seen which is kind of real things that were said at the time but you're being guided through uh, by Miranda this kind of protagonist that's seeing how it was at the time and trying to work out what the world should be now I mean it was incredible like the part that I was playing was uh, called The Servant and is this like dark grotesque cabaret person that puts on a different hat and becomes a different person constantly like very erratic chaotic very physical I mean I've probably taken more from the course that we did at Central into that show than any other show that I've done because a lot of what the show became came out of our own devising process and what we created in the rehearsal room it was a lot of trial and error we used lots of different forms of storytelling I mean the stuff that I was doing was highly physical but also using what I'd been taught in the sense of um understanding my strengths physically and knowing how to like throw those out at an audience. It was a character that allowed me to do that, but that was something that I learnt when I was training. I certainly didn't know how to do it before then. Like the different things that you can do with your body, depending on the story that you're trying to tell. And then as an ensemble, I mean, there was a mix of puppetry, shadow puppetry, music, lifting, I was going up and down a ladder every five minutes. I remember that. <laughs> and, and like makeup and mask work, like it, it, it was everything. And Ade, Ade is also a painter and a professional artist, as well as a writer and lots of other things. He's a very inspiring person to look at in terms of the work that he makes. His full name's Adebayo Balaji, if anyone wants to know. His paintings are absolutely beautiful, but just to, for me as an actor to work with him and be inspired by... I mean, we're talking about creativity and it impacting on performance, like to be inspired by his artistic language and the way he translates that into his work. And he does it incredibly freely. He doesn't censor his work based on what other people might think. And that's also a very freeing thing to see in a rehearsal room where you're, you're kind of throwing lots of ideas out to see what works. It wasn't a traditional script either. So like, I mean, to go, like, I guess to go background full circle, like... What I learned at Central that helped for that show was feeling confident to throw lots of ideas out in the rehearsal room with conviction and not be worried if they're crap, Mm -hmm. Um, not be worried if they're good, but they don't get used, like taking your ego out of the equation completely. And also knowing that the best way that you can tell the story is sometimes to kind of sit back and be silent while other people in the ensemble are doing something. Mm -hmm. That's definitely something that I learned on this particular course at Central you know, you're serving the story. So there might be moments in Dialecticon is a good example, moments where I was incredibly active and the way that the story was being told was directly through me. And lots of moments where that really wasn't the case and people probably not looking at me at all because I'm up a ladder in the corner in a blackout and I, I can get rid of my ego and just let other people do the show for a minute. I think that's something that you learn from doing a course that's very heavily ensemble based. So yeah. Yeah, that was that was cool. It, I enjoyed that process a huge amount, and it has definitely influenced the way I work now as well. Mm. 
it kind of seems like it makes you more open-minded working that way as well and like it's yeah. it's just so thrilling to hear and see um how what what we learn on a course actually does translate into the real world because sometimes I think you can get like caught up and be like well why am I doing this in drama school like <laughs> what is this point <laughs> yeah and yeah, then seeing how actually everything does have a purpose and like you'll find it somewhere in your career I think it's so yeah. magical to hear it I, I think so I mean like if looking at a more mainstream translation of it you can look at things at either the young Vic or the old Vic, potentially, sometimes also the National Theatre, where they create a company that they think can tell that story, and then they devise the show in the rehearsal room. I mean, I, I can remember a few things at the old Vic in particular. A Monster Calls, uh, a Girl from the North Country, also an incredible piece of music theatre, where they've built it around the people. And you can see when you're watching it that they built it around the people and they discover what people can do in the room and then they work out a way to tell the story and it's a beautiful ensemble way of storytelling. It's also a fascinating type of theatre that up until, it's not saying it doesn't happen, but I think maybe in this country, up until maybe five years ago, we're probably a bit too heavily focused, at least in the mainstream, on beautiful piece of writing by a writer that you know presented in a, a rather traditional format. It's not always the case, um, but I think a lot of the time that's what people from outside the theatre world get to see publicly. So it's nice to see venues with a, a big um, name is not the right word. You know what I mean, like a following or they're known by people. It's nice to see when they pursue different ways of making theatre. And uh, yeah, that's that's like a really mainstream example, but they make the work in a very similar way to what I described, I think. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I never thought of that, to be fair. But it is true as well, because especially like England, the UK, they have you have so many sources of like so many wonderful theatres that mm. can bring new experimental stuff to it. So I think it's really important for people to know that that is out there as well. It's not just commercial stuff which is great too but like there's so much more to discover in the whole artistry of the whole industry really I agree I mean it's like at the end of the day you like what you like and it's okay to go and watch something that you know you're going to want to see like you yeah. I don't think you should ever it's easy to kind of get annoyed at people for not seeing something they wouldn't normally watch I guess or whatever and it, like you you watch what you want to watch and that's fine yeah. um but if you're creating it and you have some artistic license over what's being made or what's being put into a venue, you have an incredible opportunity to kind of push the envelope of, of how it's made and take some risks. And in my experience, the best things I've ever seen are the things that do take those risks, not things that are made with the hope of filling a theatre, I guess. Yeah. That's tricky because we need money to make work, but I... Yeah, I think you can fill a theatre with something that's experimental, definitely. Mm. And linking on to that, I know you love writing. Do you want to tell us a bit about your writing passion? <laughs> yeah, um, I do love writing. I, what to say, I don't know if I'd call myself a playwright. I think that would be kind of a stretch. I do love writing. I love writing. I love poetry. When I was at Central, I did a lot of lyric writing for things and a lot of analysis of how songs are written for musical theatre, which I love and I find fascinating because there's, there's these formulas that you can follow or ignore, but they do exist. Ways to write to 
like drip feed information about a character and who they are and how they think. And that principle applies in playwriting too. I was really lucky in 2017 to get onto the introduction to playwriting program at the Royal Court based on something I'd written, like a sample of pages that I'd written that I submitted. I would, anyone interested in writing, I would highly recommend to just keep writing in your own time when you have the headspace for it and apply, like always apply, because I certainly did not expect to get onto that course. I learned a lot from doing it. Like there's tons that I still don't understand about playwriting. And a lot of it is about the intricacies of like structure and character development and things that I don't always have the um, patience for, but I love writing and seeing how through writing you can, um, bring out the truth of who a character is. I find that very interesting. It's usually about what people choose not to say out loud rather than what they choose to say out loud in my experience. So yeah, I've done, I did the thing at the Royal Court and then I wrote, I've written some pieces that have been performed for Blink Theatre, which is a company that I set up when I left drama school. I'm not a part of it anymore. It's run by somebody else now, but I've written for Blink and written some other kind of extended monologues that have been performed publicly and I like writing poetry as well things that are quite lyrical it's it's incredible it's so versatile and also I didn't know this sounds really it's versatile. well it's not versatile if it's all rubbish you know it's versatile if it's... <laughs> I'm sure it's not rubbish <laughs> but like you're tapping into like just in like these two minutes, you just tap into all these like different ways and forms of writing. Whereas if you say writing, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was like writing, playwriting, but then you were like musical yeah. theater, songwriting. And I was like, I didn't even know there was a formula for it, but actually it makes sense that there is because yeah. everything has like a basis and then you just work and intertwine everything. So I'm- The, the musical theater stuff is- fascinating I, I the playwriting stuff is also fascinating but I find it harder to get my head around it if I'm honest so sometimes trying to write for a play or a one-person show I feel like things flow really freely and sometimes they don't and it's like a grind it's an extreme grind to mm. continue this idea ticking along when you feel like you're stuck and the best playwrights I know are committed to that process and have found a way to work through the grind. I'm not great at that, can't lie. But also it's like, I'm, I'm still an actor and I probably think of myself as like an actor and a maker before a writer. So for me, it feels okay that the writing kind of feeds into the other things I do. It's not always the main thing that I'm working on. Yeah, no, that's cool. I really like how you, cause I've had a few people on here and like we always talked a bit about what do you describe yourself as? And a lot of people were like saying, I'm an artist. But like okay. the fact that you're saying I'm an actor and a maker, that's such a cool way to put it as well, because we make things. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's it. I mean, maybe it's just the wording that feels more comfortable for me. But like, I don't know, there's a hundred different job titles, you know, like I've been a producer when I was producing stuff for the company that I set up. I Technically, I've been like a marketing director when that's what we were focusing on and all these other things. And most people who are actors have probably learned to specialize in a hundred different jobs because that is, that's the nature of what we have to do sometimes. At the end of the day, I think most of the time you're making something. Yeah, we're a bit of everything. <laughs> Hold up. 
was wondering, how do you think the industry has changed over the years where you have been active in it? Oh, well, that's a good question. I mean, that's tricky because I think the way that you're active sort of changes each year, to Mm. be honest. Like a lot of the time you just take the work that comes along. So you don't always see how things are changing. It is changing. I mean, more things right now obviously are happening digitally but I think that will continue in terms of audition processes Mm. the thing that I think that is starting to happen and is the most interesting is mixing the media of film and theatre and finding like a middle ground between the two so like and I'm not talking about things like National Theatre Live where they film a theatre production I'm talking about films that capture the essence of theatre so like Denzel Washington and a team of other people are producing some uh, I think they're intending to produce all 10 August Wilson plays as films and they've done Fences and they just released Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix I mean the fact that it's been that it's an historic play and it's been released as a film on Netflix with star actors that maybe other people that haven't seen it will find more accessible is already like a huge leap in terms of bridging a gap between theatre and film. But it's also about telling the story on camera in a way that doesn't shy away from the fact that it's written for stage. Like you can, I think you can feel when you watch it that it's written for stage and it's written to be that kind of production, but they've captured it as a film that has a bit of both. I think there's huge scope in that in terms of the future of the industry and for actors that are starting out like that's kind of what I've started to do as well like you can if you know someone who is an expert filmmaker or who makes their own showreels or has has the camera equipment that you don't have or knows about sound in a way that you don't or knows about color grading in a way that you don't and all these other things there is the scope to write something yourself or find something written by a friend rehearse it as if it's being made for theatre but put it on film and mm-hmm. and uh, take it from a few different angles or you know start with theatre and then work out how you're going to tell the story when it's captured on camera uh, I, I think there's a way to kind of keep a feeling of both at the same time and I've only te- like I've played around with that idea a little bit and some things that I've made myself and the work is exciting and I, uh, what's really cool about it in terms of permanence is if you, if you invest time into it, you might be able to come away with some things that are essentially showreel material, which a lot of people want and need. But maybe you don't have to make it in the traditional way that we're used to. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I'm, I'm not a massive advocate of like these standardized showreels that are exactly two minutes or however long they need to be and cut together and maybe you have two scenes and they're or whatever they are I I don't have one of those and I haven't found that I've needed it to be honest and sometimes yeah. the things that you can make which are like a little standalone piece that might be a minute long they might showcase you in the way that you need and, and they might be more exciting to make as well yeah no, that's such an interesting point. Like, it doesn't always have to be like the old conventional way. There's so many new ways that you can experiment with nowadays. So, yeah, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Leading on from that, in your opinion, what unites us as creatives? Oh, kindness. It might sound extremely wanky. Uh, <laughs> it does sound extremely wanky. I can't help that. 
I don't know how to describe that really. Like the the work that's nice to make is work. It might like when you're welcomed into a room, you feel like you have a right to be there. You have a purpose in the space, the same as everybody else does. You all have a different reason to be there, a different function, and you're contributing to something together. And it is possible to make rooms where it feels that way. And the reason I say kindness is a lot of that is about kind of putting ego to one side. And, and you know, if you're there to make a thing together, the thing that you're making takes precedence. So being willing to not be the only voice in the room and it it can make for a really lovely way of working. I think especially now, I we need a bit more kindness, really. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great answer. What is the biggest thing that you have learned on your journey? <sighs> that's hard. They are hard questions. I don't blame um, you. <laughs> I think don't hold back is probably the biggest thing that I've learned. I, I'm really good at I, I hate confrontation and I'm very good at censoring myself or not saying exactly what I want and it's probably taken me up until maybe last year like a good five years from graduating to get okay at giving my ideas in a room and saying what I think even if it might not work or it might come out of my mouth wrong and sound stupid and that also goes for trying things as an actor you know whether that be an audition or in a rehearsal space like you know, make some choices, do your work and, and then try it. And it might feel eggy or it might feel ugly or not right for quite a long time before it feels right, because that's the process of making something. So, yeah, I mean, like trusting, I think trusting my gut mm -hmm. in some of those decisions has been, it's been a bit of a journey to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And what would you say makes you unique as a performer or creative? <laughs> uh... <laughs> all the self-love <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea I I mean I'm not that's a weird question we're all unique aren't we you know yeah. like I, I, I don't know that there's anything that sets me apart particularly but what other people see in you is very important like I I, I do believe increasingly in kind of spreading kindness like spreading good feeling when that's something that I have the energy to give out to other people and I do believe that it it continues to spread you mm -hmm. pass pass that good energy or something in your approach to your own work it doesn't I don't mean telling people how to do their job I just mean turning up and doing yours but I do I think little nuggets of that feed into other people and those feed into other people so maybe there's a bit of that that kind of if I'm lucky that might read in the rooms that I'm working in and I think if you work in a nice way with people you often get asked back to do it again yeah there you go <laughs> brilliant you yeah. are <laughs> um do you have any last comments that comments that you would like to give the listeners before we finish. I, I feel like I have rambled quite a lot. No, people are extremely welcome to get in touch with me. I'm like, I'm very happy to do that. And I've had chats with other people, like if the, um, like making theatre on film thing sounds interesting to people and they want to chat about what I meant by that, mm -hmm. um, or just chat about making work, that kind of thing. Like I'm, 
my emails are open people are very welcome to do that if they'd like to that's the only thing to say really and like it's okay to rest that's something that I probably would have benefited from being told 10 years ago it's okay you know Mm -hmm. a day doing nothing is still part of your career if that's what you need something I'm still learning (laughs) yeah me too No, that's brilliant. I will put everything in the comments as well so people can get in touch with you. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey. It was really insightful. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Artist Avenue will be back next Tuesday with another exciting interview. Make sure to follow us on social media and keep up to date with all the artists and their wonderful projects. Your support for this podcast honestly means the world to me. For now, keep smiling, keep listening, and I'll see you all next week.